Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 10 looked like a very different team than the one we saw heading into the bye week. Is this legitimately a better Pittsburgh Steelers team, and how can they carry this momentum forward into the rest of the season? I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. During the bye week on this show, we talked about the changes in the Pittsburgh Steelers we, that were coming uh, with the loss of with the trade of Chase Claypool, with T.J. Watt, Demonte Kazi expected to be back. And I talked about things that the Steelers needed to do in terms of hopes for the season, in ways the Steelers could improve, and what the Steelers really had to do to improve. We're going to talk about that today and look at what they actually did. And uh, they they succeeded at most of them. Most of the things I, I was sitting there pointing out say, hey, this is what they need to do. They did. They improved. We'll start with the Steelers' run game. I want to start by saying the offensive line had a really good game in run blocking. They had a really good run blocking game. I need to get that straight out of the, at the start. But Najee Harris ran much more aggressively and ran harder than we've seen him. He was breaking tackles and pulling through. He was hitting holes quicker. I don't know if the extra week helped him get a little healthier, you know, maybe got a little extra rehab in and got going better than he had been. Could be. That foot, that ankle starts feeling better. You cut a little faster. You cut a little harder. You have a little more confidence in it. That can make a big difference for a running back. Jalen Warren, uh, we talked about him. He was the most efficient running back. He looked like the same guy this week, which... When you compared them before the bye week, Jalen Warren was by far the better-looking running back. In this game, with Najee Harris running much more closer to what we saw in his rookie season, it was clear he's a better running back than Jalen Warren. But Jalen Warren is a nice number two running back. He did receive more touches. My two keys in the run game were Najee Harris has to get going. They have to find a way to use Najee Harris more effectively. They obviously did that. He averaged just 20 rushes, 99 yards, so just a hair under five yards per carry. That's perfect. That's beautiful. If you get that, you're, you're going to win football games all over the place. Jalen Warren, a little bit under that, but good. And he got more touches. He got more touches than he has the rest of the, the year. That was good. The Steelers did exactly what they needed to do there, and, and we saw the impact it had on the game as they were able to control the clock with their run game. We talked about the trade of Chase Claypool and how that would affect the wide receiver position with more two tight end sets and, you know, Steven Sims. I I mentioned uh, Pat Fryermuth being used in the slot outside more. That happened this week. In the first eight games of the season, Pat Fryermuth was lined up in line as a traditional tight end, 68% of snaps. This week, it was only 50%. He spent 35% of his snaps in the slot, and he doubled the number of snaps he lined up outside as a wideout for the season with six, bringing him to 12 on the year. He had six snaps as as an outside receiver through eight games. He had six in this game. Now, with that came a loss in efficiency. 
we went into the bye week with the tight ends being the most efficient position to target. Three of the four players with the highest yards per target were tight ends, Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, and Connor Hayward, with only George Pickens joining them. This week, that dropped. Targets to tight ends averaged four and a half yards per target. They had eight targets for 36 total yards. Less efficient tight ends, but everything else worked better. And to to talk about the value of the two tight end sets, we have to go to one of my other and one of my main, I think this was number one or number two, uh, when I listed at the end, the most important ones for getting this team in a better position was Deontay Johnson. Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson were 4.4 yards per target through the first half of this year. Between Pickett throwing to Johnson, 4.4 yards per target. That's abysmal. That's terrible. The tight ends had a terrible game with eight targets for 36 yards. That's still higher than what Deontay Johnson and Kenny Pickett were doing for the first half of this season. Deontay Johnson comes out, has his second most efficient game of his career with 12.6 yards per target. He was targeted five times for 63 yards. And it's better than that because that discounts all of the pass interference penalties. He drew multiple pass interference penalties. When you look on the film, three of his four catches were out of two tight end packages. Two receivers, two tight ends, one running back. If you remember the game, you remember him hitting slant routes. Kenny Pickett finding Deontay Johnson on slant routes several times. Those were with two tight ends. Pulling a defensive back off, putting a linebacker on, and giving a little bit less coverage there and better gaps in the zone and in the coverage for Kenny Pickett to hit. And Deontay Johnson and him did it. It worked. One of his other catches was a uh, one of those, those sprint outs, quarterback sprinting out to the right. Deontay Johnson came from the other side. And it was a linebacker in place of a nickelback that Kenny Pickett was able to attack to get Deontay Johnson that catch. All three of those catches that came in two tight end sets were based on a linebacker being in instead of the nickelback and attacking a linebacker's space in the field with Deontay Johnson. Kenny Pickett is good with his accuracy. He's good at finding these holes and fitting the ball in. And when it's a linebacker instead of a defensive back, he's better. In my opinion, he's much better at finding those gaps because linebackers simply do not do as well as defensive backs in coverage. That's that's all defensive backs do is coverage. And in the, the Saints zone plays and even in man, they were able to exploit the coverage much better when they had two tight ends, especially with Deontay Johnson. George Pickens did about what we've come to expect from him in games where he doesn't have a mismatch going. Uh, four targets, 32 yards, eight yards per target. That's that's solid for him. He added to that two rushes for 23 yards and a touchdown. That was a big deal. The run he had for the first touchdown and the run he had later for 22 yards, that was, was good plays. Those are good plays, good yards. He had a good game 
A total of 55 yards and a touchdown on six plays where he was the focus point of the offense. That's not bad. Uh, not exactly what we expected. And it's interesting to me that they they sent Chase Claypool to Chicago. We expected Deontay Johnson and George Pickens to step up and have a bigger role. Both of them had efficient games. But they only account for nine targets out of 30 Kenny Pickett passes. The number one target was Pat Fryermuth who was much less effective in this game than he has been previously. I, I shouldn't say effective. He was much, he was less efficient in this game than he has been in other games. The depth targets, the other players, Jalen Warren caught three passes, all three of his targets for 40 yards. Steven Sims was targeted twice, one catch for 15 yards. Garner Olszewski, one target, caught it for four yards. Connor Hayward, two targets, nine yards. Zach Gentry was incomplete on his target. Uh, this should have been an interference call, in my opinion. But they added some value, right? They added some value. The big players in the passing game, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, and Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren stats up. He stands out three for three, 40 yards. He was their second receiver. Number two receiver in this game for yards. Uh, he stood out with that big gain late. Kenny Pickett had an efficient day. 30 attempts, 199 yards. That's not great. He was under pressure a lot. He gave up six sacks. Some of those he takes some blame for, but most of it's offensive line play. He ran a lot. Eight rushes for 51 yards and a touchdown. Some of those were designed runs, but what really stood out for Kenny Pickett was his growth in stepping up in the pocket. He stepped up in the pocket this week, including running for it, also threw the ball a few times. In past weeks, especially towards the end of the first half, week seven, week eight, weeks, week six, seven, and eight really were bad. He was running to the sides and running backwards when he could have stepped up to avoid pressure. He still did that sometimes in this game. Looked a little skittish. Needs to work on his pocket presence. That's the thing he needs to work on. But he was better. He did much better this game. Uh, the arrow is pointing up in that specific area for Kenny Pickett, and that's good. If he can do that, I, I think you'll see fewer interceptions from Kenny Pickett. Simply because when he scrambles out, he tends to make worse throws downfield. So it'll. there's reason for hope here. There's reason for hope here. Kenny Pickett was more efficient with the ball. Uh, I should say more careful with the ball. Still got some good plays downfield. Ran for some plays. Had the touchdown. Good game overall for Kenny Pickett. Going forward, this offense next week has a better defense from Cincinnati than the one they saw in New Orleans, especially with the injuries New Orleans had. They have a better run defense. Cincinnati's a much better run defense than New Orleans. We need to see this offense be able to run the ball against a better run defense. We need to see Kenny Pickett take care of the football and run this team down the field, even when the run game isn't dominating like it was in this game. 
this offense needs to show that it can mature into a good offense and not just have a good game when, you know, a team's defense isn't that good and and maybe they were missing a few pieces that the Steelers were able to exploit. They need to put it up again. They need to do this game over again. And they need to improve in one key area. The Steelers left a lot of points on the board. If you want to go back and look at the throws Kenny Pickett made uh, to Pat Fryermuth that were incomplete, you can say they were inaccurate passes. I often think a lot of his times, in a very Ben Roethlisberger way, uh, Kenny Pickett throws the ball where only his receiver can get it. And as a young quarterback, the same with Ben, often that means it's no one's getting to it because he's trying to place it where the other team definitely can't get to it and give his guy a bit of a chance, right? Pat Fryermuth had one hand on the, on the one pass. No way really to catch it. It would have been an absolutely spectacular catch for him to have caught that. But we've seen Pat Fryermuth make some of those. So you give him a chance. Could he have placed it better? Absolutely he could have placed it better. Hopefully as he grows and, and gets more experience, he will place those better. But oftentimes I think you see Kenny Pickett make throws where he's looking at a receiver, realizing he doesn't quite have it, needs to get rid of the ball, and so he just leads them farther or throws it a little bit farther outside. I, I think a lot of times his, his thought process is, I can throw it there away from the defender and my guy still has maybe a little bit of a chance to catch it instead of throwing the ball away, you know? I think that's his thought process. And it's not a bad thought process to have. Uh, I, I think we saw Ben Roethlisberger start his career with a bit of that thought process. And then as he matured and got better, he started hitting those throws. As he got more familiar and built chemistry with his receivers, the throw to Santonio Holmes in the end zone for the Super Bowl win was a, you know, a very low percentage catch chance, but he gave him a chance. Here's your chance. Go make a play. Ben Roethlisberger did that a lot with his receivers. Kenny Pickett has a similar mindset, does not have the overall talent Ben Roethlisberger did. Few quarterbacks in NFL history have the pure physical ability that Ben Roethlisberger had. But Kenny Pickett has that mindset, and he should get better at it. I'm not at all saying he's going to be another Ben Roethlisberger. He's not. But he should get better at that aspect and the offense. And he, he could become a guy who makes some clutch throws like that, who gets known for those kind of throws if he gets them a little more accurate and finds that sweet spot between you know, putting it where the defense can get it and putting it where your player can't get to it. And that's really the Steelers' challenge going forward. I've said many times when the Steelers can run the ball up the middle, Matt Canada's offense works. Well, the Steelers were able to run the ball between the tackles. And guess what? Matt Canada's offense worked. Kicker missed two field goals. They had six scoring chances. Where they need to get better is scoring touchdowns. That's the big one. But as we've already covered, uh, some of those are on the quarterback, just not being there yet. Some of those are on Matt Canada. You, you got to do some, some better things. That touchdown for George Pickens, that was a great little wrinkle play just to punch it in. And that was big. That's big in a game like this. If you end up settling for a field goal there, 
you're in trouble. Matt Canada has a good number of plays that are just going to work to get you three to four yards. This is something he's had all through college, all through his career. If, if you are a team that, you know, can move the ball effectively, and then you just, every once in a while, you need that play that's just going to get you two or three yards. He can he can throw one out there that's just, you're just like, well, that's a cleverly designed play, and it got the yardage we needed. You know? Okay. That's great. The problem is when he has to rely on those, and then you run out of them pretty quick. If you have 20 of those plays, you only get to really use them 20 times. If you have to use five a game, they don't last long. They don't hold up for long. So, Matt Canada's offense, he needs the guys to be running up the middle. He needs better execution so that those plays become big moment plays. Plays to drop out in a big moment where you need this play to gain three yards. You need this play right here to work. To win the game. To ice the game. Not, we need this play just to get a first down and and hopefully get something going. That's That's not an offense. You can't run an offense off those plays. We'll see how they go going forward. If this team can run the ball consistently up the middle and Kenny Pickett starts building some chemistry with Pat Fryermuth and can get some of these passes in reach of him so he can actually make those plays, this offense can succeed with Matt Canada as its offensive coordinator. They had six scoring chances this game. There's only been two games with more than six scoring chances for the Steelers since 20. 18 with Ben Roethlisberger the 2020 season when the, when they won all those games they had won 2018 they had won with that many scoring chances this team and this week moved the ball put themselves in positions to score they need to convert those touchdowns they need to convert the field goals you're not going to have six scoring chances every game going forward you need to convert on the ones you have All right, that's the first half of our show. We're going to take a little commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about the Steelers' defense. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. Make sure you're checking out all of the podcasts on our family of podcasts and click on over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com to get all of your Steelers news, insight, information, opinion articles, all of it. Especially check out the comment section. We've got a great group of people. One of my favorite things about this site since I joined it back in 2009 has been the community of this site. I love it for the podcast. I love it in the articles, discussions. There's a lot of great people here. Uh, Come be one of them. Come along and be one of them. All right. We talked about the offense in the first half of this show. We're going to move on to the defense now. The defense, the keys for going into the second half, the number one key, T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt plays, the Steelers win. I mean, this is, 
that that holds up since 2017 when TJ Watt plays 50% of the snaps or more in a game he plays half the game the Steelers have a win percentage just above 70% this game this win with TJ Watt put them above 70% win percentage when TJ Watt plays there is one team in the NFL who has a 70% win percentage since 2017. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. The Steelers have that when T.J. Watt plays. They, If T.J. Watt, if you project that out, the Steelers are the second best team in the NFL since 2017 when T.J. Watt plays. When he doesn't, they're 2-12-1. I don't need to tell you that two wins, 12 losses, and a tie is bad. That's bad. You're talking about a ridiculous drop in win percentage, whether TJ Watt plays or not. We've talked about that quite a lot. This is something I talk about a lot because it doesn't make sense. It's crazy. Uh, No one should have that much impact on a football team, and yet TJ Watt does. TJ Watt returned. He recorded four tackles, and that's it. But when you look at the tackles he made, He made two really big run stops. You're talking first and 10, no gain. That's a big play. That's a big play. The Steelers are really good when they get into third and 10. When you can flat out stuff of a run play on first down, that means you have one play as the other team. You've got to gain some yards. Or or you're most likely going three and out. A run stuff on first down is huge. Another of his plays was a sack uh, where Andy Dalton was able to fall forward and get across and gain like half a yard, right? It was a sack. It was a sack that isn't a sack because Andy Andy Dalton was able to get past the line. We saw Alex Highsmith record two sacks. He had three and a half sacks in seven games this season. In the mostly most of two games that he has played with TJ Watt, he has five. Seven games, three and a half. He averages half a sack a game without TJ Watt this season and two and a half sacks a game when TJ Watt plays. That's not a coincidence. It's also not entirely TJ creating. It's not like... Highsmith is standing around picking his nose and then TJ Watt like chases the quarterback to him and goes, go, go Alex, touch him, touch him down. You know, I'm not, it's not that it's not all TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith is just there collecting sacks. Alex Highsmith is a really good player. The drop off from TJ Watt to Malik Reed is incredible to the point that Alex Highsmith was out there without a partner. We remember what happened with Lamar Woodley went down, got hurt, or, or and his play was seriously limited by a couple of injuries. He had a knee and a groin injury. He was limited, and all of a sudden, James Harrison went from defensive player of the year caliber to struggling to get 10 sacks. Not able to do it. Because he didn't have someone on the other side, and the other team could use that against him. TJ Watt comes back, and Alex Highsmith goes from he doesn't have a partner on the other side to help him get sacks, and the other team just has ways to get away from him, to it's T.J. Watt over there. It's, it makes such a difference. 
it makes such a difference. Alex Highsmith was also really good in the run game. He was him, uh, Cameron Hayward were both very key in the fourth down stuff of the quarterback sneak. Highsmith really got under it, got penetration, and really held that lineup. Great job by him. He he is a heck of a player. When people talk about Kevin Colbert's last drafts, and they they criticize him a decent bit, and there's a good amount of fair criticism to be had there. Alex Highsmith, as a third-round pick, heck of a player. Heck of a draft pick. Fantastic draft pick. The Steelers are going to have a hard time keeping him after next season. And they may they may have to franchise tag him if they want to keep him another year because he's going to be in demand. He's going to have a serious market. If he continues the next year and a half of playing at the level he is playing right now, he's going to put up stats. He's going to be in demand. And he's going to fetch a high price. He's that level of player. We'll see what happens with him, but that's an absolute great draft pick. His development has been incredible. Wonderful, wonderful stuff just with with Alex Highsmith. Sky is the limit for him right now. Like, really good player. That's going to be a big thing going forward. If the defensive line can stay healthy, because again, defensive line depth is a weakness on this team. If Cameron Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi stay healthy, Montrevious Adams keeps playing well, this team, with T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith, is going to be rough to pass on. Very rough. And that's your that's your foundation of your defense right there. We don't have to stop the run. We don't have to be great at stopping the run. We just have to eventually make you throw the ball. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go bad for you. The... Pass rush showed up this time helping the defensive backs. The Saints really struggled to move the ball in the air. A lot of throws were hurried. They didn't have as much time in the pocket to find people. And that helped the defensive backs show that they are actually pretty good. Uh, the biggest beneficiary in my mind was Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace had a, had a really good game compared to what he's had before. Whether that's simply the pass rush, not leaving him out there as long whether that's him acclimating a bit and feeling more comfortable and confident after the bye week could be a combination of all of them. He could just be healthier too. He hasn't really been the healthiest this season. He's been kind of banged up. Cameron Sutton played, obviously. Arthur Millette had a heck of a game. Arthur Millette, talk about stepping up. He had a great game. That big pass breakup on Chris Olave, but outside of that, he was really good as well. That brings us to... The position I want to talk about the most here, I'm looking forward to the safeties. Minka Fitzpatrick was out this game. DeMonte Kazi comes back. Now let me cover the difference between Minka Fitzpatrick's game and DeMonte Kazi's game. Not with production. We all know Minka is an incredible playmaker. We all know he's an elite safety. DeMonte Kazi is not in that category. I want to compare them, though, by their usage. Minka Fitzpatrick through eight games, played a little over 75% of his time at, at deep safety. Kazi in one game played 80%. Slightly more. Not a big difference. In the, for the next highest usage for Minka Fitzpatrick was in the box, where he spends around 14 to 15% of his snaps 
in the box where he is an absolute monster defending passes in the box. You cannot pass short over the middle when Minka Fitzpatrick is there. It's going to be going the other way. Demonte Kazi had three snaps in the box. 6.4% of his snaps were in the box, and that lines up with his usage on other teams. He is not a guy you put in the box. Kazi spent around 13% of his snaps, one-eighth of his snaps in the slot. Minka Fitzpatrick, around 8%. So you can see Kazi is used a little bit more in the slot, less in the box. Minka, more in the box, less in the slot. They're both primarily deep safeties. When you look at Terrell Edmonds' numbers, you see that with Kazi, he was in the box more. Kazi was in the box less. Now, with Minka, it's about a two-to-one split for every two snaps Edmonds is in the box. Minka has one snap inside the box. So about 66% of the snaps where they send one of either Minka Fitzpatrick or Terrell Edmonds into the box, 66% of the time, it's Terrell Edmonds. When you compare that to what we saw with Edmonds and Kazi, it was 86% of the box snaps for a safety came from Terrell Edmonds. 86%. That's a big difference. Edmonds is great in the box. He's good in the slot. Kazi is good in the slot. They kind of split it. It was even. Uh, Edmonds had five. Kazi had six snaps in the slot. Uh, when you compare that to what they do with Minka Fitzpatrick, Edmonds has about almost three to one. Almost three times the number of slot snaps that Minka Fitzpatrick has. So I want you, I, I'm, I'm saying this because I want you to kind of get an idea of their usage. The Steelers don't like Minka Fitzpatrick in the slot. The Steelers like Minka Fitzpatrick. Obviously, his main position is deep safety. They also like him in the box, where he is as a robber role, uh, short zones in the middle of the field, just taking away all kinds of route combinations, just with his presence, his range, and his ability to read the quarterback. When it's Kazi and Edmonds in this game, Edmonds was in the box. Kazi, they're more comfortable with him in the slot, so it was roughly split between him and Edmonds. Kazi was the deep safety. Edmonds was in the box much more. Again, get this get this in your head. Kazi is a much more natural deep safety than Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick is a better player, but there's a reason that no one else used him at free safety. Nobody. Miami didn't. Alabama didn't. It wasn't because Nick Saban and Brian Flores don't know how to coach defense. Right? It, that's not it. It's not that those guys are terrible defensive coordinators. Those guys are really good. It's just in their systems, they need a center fielder. They want that deep center fielder. Minka Fitzpatrick is not that player. He can do it, but he's much better used in other ways, which is why they used him as a strong safety in Miami, to get him in the box more. But that's also really not, he's not a strong safety. He doesn't do that against the run. He's kind of a tweener. And if you can find the sweet spot to play him in, he's going to make plays for you. He's going to be a superstar. If you have to put him in one role or the other, he's not going to be as good. And he's worked so far in Pittsburgh when we're able to do that with him. DeMonte Kazi is key to that. 
when you see the Steelers start to use three safeties, it's not going to be a response to, uh, this is how this is the best personnel matchup to stop what the offense is doing. No, it's not going to be. Uh, we need more run support. Let's let's put another safety in and take out the nickelback and just do three safeties to be more stronger against the run. It's not going to be that. They are going to put these three safeties on the field because with Kazi deep and Edmonds on the field, Minka Fitzpatrick can be anywhere. He can be anywhere. You could rotate to, you could have Edmonds in the box, Minka Fitzpatrick deep, Demonte Kazi in the slot, Edmonds in the slot, Kazi deep, Minka Fitzpatrick in the box. You can rotate through these. You could have Minka and Kazi deep and Edmonds up in the box. You could have Edmonds and Kazi deep and Minka up in the box. You could have Minka and Edmonds deep and Kazi in the slot. You can do all kinds of things with them. And if you remember watching them play, one of my favorite things is when they kind of shuffle around and aren't really in position until the snap. And they're both Minka Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds quick enough to get to a new location at the snap. They're smart and quick enough to do it. And it's a mess. If you're a young quarterback the other side and you look out there and you're like, they're not even lined up. Like, where are they playing? I, I You don't even know where they're playing. They're kind of milling about and talking to each other. Do they... Are they are they having communication issues? What's going on? And then you snap it, and boom, they're in the right spots. You have to read them post-snap when they do that. With Minka Fitzpatrick, Terrell Edmonds, and Demonte Kazi, the tendencies of Edmonds in the box, Minka in deep, or Minka in the box, and maybe Edmonds over here in the slot, the different uses, you have a third element now. You have three players involved that you have to look for to see where is Minka Fitzpatrick. And with Kazi pulling off an interception, you have to be aware of he is. You know, if you're trying to attack Terrell Edmonds, it's not going to be as easy to find him. And of course, he's not the best player to attack either. But the big deal is going forward, when Minka Fitzpatrick comes back, there's great potential here. I've been talking it up, but you can see it here. When you look at the snap counts, when you look at Kazi's usage, you look at how fast he gets to the ball from a deep middle safety. That that's incredibly valuable with the safeties the Steelers have. It's going to be a real boost to this team when Minka Fitzpatrick comes back. If 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 the universe allows Terrell Edmonds, Minka Fitzpatrick and Demonte Kazi to step on the field in the same uniform in the same game, it'll be great. We'll have to see if that happens. Last day you talk about uh, with Miles Jack out, uh, Robert Splain played every snap for the Steelers at linebacker. He, he's he's winning the award for Mike Tomlin's favorite Steeler, I guess. He's clearly more beloved by Tomlin than uh, the fans. It doesn't make sense to me why he plays more than Devin Bush. But, uh, I mean, Bush isn't the best. Don't get me wrong here, but Bush is better in coverage. And this season, right now, he's bounced back, and he's not quite on Robert Spillane's level in run defense, but he's pretty dang close. And he's much better in coverage. And yet Robert Spillane is our dime linebacker. I don't get that. He's constantly being attacked out there. But that is a consistent thing. Mike, Mike Tomlin and Robert Spillane, they've, they're, they're good buds or something. I don't know. 
That's the defense. I th- I think this defense is set up to be very good. Very good. We're just kind of hanging on the edge of a knife where any injury is an injury too many. This team cannot have more injuries. They need to get healthier. They need to stay healthy. And they can be a very high-end defense. A kind of defense that could lead this team on a run to try and win the division. But that comes down to next week. That comes down to the Bengals game. The Steelers need to beat the Bengals. I mean, well, they basically, I mean, really, you. I think you can win like, you can lose one game going out and, and have a real good shot at winning the division. You need to win AFC North games. Uh, the Steelers need to beat the Bengals next week. And that's going to be an interesting game. All right, that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you have some realistic hope for the rest of the season, being competitive at least, if not good football from the Steelers. There's clear places to grow on offense and defense and opportunities to do so. So let's hope it works out. Let's hope the team stays healthy, they grow, and we get to have a fun rest of the season. As always, thank you for listening, and let's go Steelers. (laughs) 